Hi everyone, welcome back to TTT, the Talking Transport Transformation Podcast, brought to you by TUMI, the Transformative Urban Mobility Initiative. Cycling has become more and more popular in many places around the world during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Especially the Colombian capital Bogota has become famous for their bicycle friendliness over the last months. To learn how the city officials have successfully pushed cycling as a safe and healthy transport alternative, we're happy to have had the chance to talk to Nicolas Estupinian. Nicolas, born in Bogota, has formerly worked for the World Bank, the Latin American Development Bank, the National Planning Department of Colombia, and served as Deputy Minister of Transport. Now he's the Secretary of Mobility for the city of Bogota. My colleague Lina and Nicolas talked about the changing mobility situation in Bogota since the pandemic started, risks and success factors of the transformation, and how citizens respond to it. We're looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Over to you both. Nicolas, as a response to the ongoing COVID-19 crisis, you increase available space for active mobility modes, such as cycling in Bogota. With more than 100 kilometers of new bike lanes in the city, Bogota has become really a role model for urban resilience. So how did traffic in Bogota change since the pandemic started and how did citizens respond to it? Lena, thank you very much. And, and it's a pleasure to talk with you about these uh, different measures that we have been taking during these pandemic times. So yes, we uh, started the lockdown around mid-March. Uh, and it was very, very difficult to take those decisions because, of course, when we started looking at the data that we have recorded over the next, over the previous decades, there was not a single observation of a previous pandemic that was this tough. So there was no clue on how to move forward. We just knew two things. We needed to uh, reduce the levels of occupancy of public transportation, and we needed to provide more space so that people could move. So basically what we did was to take into account all the infrastructure that we already have and taking into account all the principles of uh, shared economies, we said, okay, so there is a, a lot of actives, there's a lot of infrastructure and data that we can be um, using in a better way. So that's what we decided. We decided that we were going to allocate uh, more space for people to travel with basically two criteria. We were talking about equity and efficiency. So those two were the criteria that we used to reallocate some of this public space. And, and fortunately, people really, really have these, these uh, lanes. When we started, we took into account the 100 kilometers that we use every Sunday for the Ciclovia. You know that Bogota has been being very famous for opening more than 100 kilometers every Sunday for people that want to enjoy the city. So we started on the second week of March with that same amount of kilometers, and we started testing which, which lanes were performing better in terms of accidents, in terms of not affecting public transportation routes, and in terms of providing and serving more direct connections between origins and destinations. So we started doing this trial and error kilometers, and fortunately, people responded very well. 
So this data that you just mentioned that uh, you used to find out what is the best connections to use for this project, what was um, what was the type of data that you collected? How did you decide on what data would be relevant to you? Um, and is there anything that you have in terms of maybe a suggestion to cities that a lot of cities might overlook when they collect uh, mobility and traffic data? So when we were deciding which were going to be the, the kilometers that we wanted to allocate, we started looking at the historical data that we had. So we started looking at volumes, of course, number of passengers, number of people that were being using those corridors. And we looked at number of vehicles that were using freight, freight vehicles, uh, private vehicles, and of course, pedestrians and cyclists. Uh, and another element that we took in into account, of course, was the number of people using public transportation during these corridors. So we observed volumes, We also had a previous network designed uh, in which we had a lot of connections that need to be to provide better, um, a more direct connection between origins and destinations. So we had those elements on the on the table, and of course we had also the number of accidents. Uh, road safety is of course one of the main concerns that we also have in Bogota. So with uh, volumes, connections, and accidents. With those three elements, we perform this matrix and we prioritize the number of kilometers and the corridors that we wanted to to start with. Mm -hmm. And looking back on the intervention now, do you already have some new data on what changed on those roads? For example, volume of cyclists or road safety numbers that you're seeing that have changed since then? So Bogota has changed for good, I believe. Bogota and a lot of cities during these COVID-19 times, I feel that a lot of changes have come. And, and part of the challenges that we have here is to make sure that the positive changes that Bogota and other cities have had during these times are permanent. Uh, taking into account that most of these changes people feel that should be implemented only during pandemic times. So our effort, our main effort now is saying, okay, so Bogota learned that it can move in a different manner. So let's let's bring into the table those different ways that we can move. So we collected a lot of data. Um, it's hard to make these um, casualty uh, and these correlations because, of course, a lot of things have been happening. We started the lockdown in March, and we have been opening different economic sectors, of course, during the previous months. So it's kind of difficult to make sure that all the different kind of um, differences in the volumes and in the data that we have collected can be attributed only to one of these measurements. But of course, all of the different policy interactions and all of the different policies that we have implemented have had different effects. So yes, we've observed um, some things that are very interesting and very uh, notable here. We have, for example, an emblematic corridor here that it's called Carrera Septima. It's like the seventh avenue here. Um, Previously, in 1920, uh, in, 1990, in 2019, I'm sorry, we had, in the peak hour, we had less than 50 cyclists per hour. In, in that corridor, we, of course, introduced um, 20 kilometers of these pop-up bike lanes. Um, and now, in the peak hour, in the morning, we've, we have observed the same amount of, of, of cyclists than of vehicles. We are talking about almost 1,000 cyclists in the peak hour in the morning, in this lane, 
and we have 950 vehicles in the peak hour in the morning. So we are observing some very radical changes in how people move. Bogota, as you know, is, is very dense and has a lot of connections between origins and destinations and a very uh, mixed land uses. So we are knowing and we, we are challenging uh, citizens to take, of course, the best use of these pop-up lanes. Right. So is it already decided that the pop-up bike lanes will remain in place or is there still um, activities that you're pursuing to make sure that streets like the one you just mentioned have drastically altered the mobility behavior of the citizens, that they will become permanent bike lanes? So we're <laughs> currently we're having this dispute now uh, among public space, right? So the traditional stakeholders are, of course, uh, not very happy with that new distribution of public space. And we are observing a lot of pressure from different stakeholders because they, of course, want to go back to the past. They want to go back to the different uh, distribution of the public space. What the mayor, Claudia Lopez, and myself and all the administration are saying, we're talking about here about equity and efficiency. It's more efficient and has a lot of impact on vulnerable households to redistribute public space and favor these more direct connections. And of course, we're talking about here a lot of um, positive external externalities. So we're talking about more safe infrastructure. We're talking about more direct connections. We're talking about less emissions because we've observed a lot of modes uh, changes. So for example, when we talk about Mosher, uh, previous to the uh, COVID-19, in Bogota we had... 6.5% of people that were using their bicycle on a given day. And now we're observing that this number is going up to 10, 11%. Of course, we still need to continue monitoring all the data because we need to stabilize a little bit. Uh, but what numbers are, are suggesting is that people are very happy with these pop-up lanes. And of course, they're going to stay. We are convinced that this is a way in which Bogota can become a more uh, just and clean city. So if you were talking to other city representatives and they asked you, what is the success factor behind making such an intervention a long-term transformation? Would you say it's some of the points that you've just mentioned to sort of, um, that it's a communication issue, like you said, to highlight the, the efficiency of that, this particular mode of transport, to also engage with the people that you mentioned who are not so happy in the first instance about these interventions? Or what would be your advice um, for the most important success factor to really make something that was a short-term intervention into a long-term transformation? So, of course, there's a, there's a very important issue on communications. People need to understand what are the benefits uh, of, of taking these interventions. Um, I would suggest also to measure everything all the time because those elements and those data are the ones that are going to be defending the different interventions. For us, has been very clean and very transparent to put all the data up forward. If you tell people, so we had X number of cyclists and now we have Y, and this is the increase of number of people that are benefiting from this new distribution of public space, then of course the communication for this is a lot easier. Of course, there's people that even when you show you the data, you show them the data, are not going to be happy with these kind of decisions. But then again, when you put the general benefit 
over the particular benefit, then uh, it, it's going to be a different discussion. I would suggest also, uh, this is kind of a, a recommendation, if I may, um, we, need, we need to to take risks. We need to know that we're not going to get it right at the first time, and we need to be willing to take those risks, knowing that perhaps we're not going to be successful at the first time, but if we're going on the right direction, on the right path, then, of course, all this data and all these interventions can be adjusted. But it's very important to take those risks, to be willing to take those risks, and, of course, to have the political will to be willing to accept that you're not going to get it right at the first time. As I mentioned, we started with 110 kilometers, then we decreased those numbers of kilometers because some of them were having a lot of accidents with public transportation. We were having some impact on the frequencies of mass transit, and so we, we, we were willing to adjust. We knew that we had no idea how to move forward, how a city would move in pandemic times, um, so we were willing to accept some chances. So among those challenges that you accepted or the risks that you took, is there something that you can say from experience now that might have not gone the way that you would have wanted it to go that you've learned from and where you would now maybe approach the issue differently if you were to start again? Uh, so we have 14 corridors, which are the main corridors here in, in, in Bogota. Um, we have something like 71% of the people in Bogota use those 14 corridors. And we did not have that good data on those 14 corridors. So when we're talking about, uh, not in pandemic times, but in general, when you want to do an experiment or you want to do some intervention, one of the first things that, of course, all the experts recommend is to have a very solid baseline. So our baseline right before pandemic times was not that clean. We had a lot of good information from our previous household travel survey that was from 2019. And that is the, the comprehensive baseline that we are using. But before that, uh, before pandemic times in February or January, we did not have that good data. So that is something that I would change. Another thing that I would like to change, if I could, going back in time, would be having more technological devices to collect all the information And, of course, to uh, have a bilateral conversation with citizens. We have a lot, of him, or a lot of mechanisms for us, the city, to send information, to communicate information to the people. But we don't have very good mechanisms for people to communicate with us. So, of course, we have social networks, and we have Twitter, and we have Facebook, and we have all these new tools But there's not a very efficient mechanism in which we can communicate in a more fast and in a more efficient manner with citizens. So I would like to change those two things if I could, or for the next pandemia. Very interesting. And um, if you were now to say, what would be the top three factors that enabled you to really um, do these interventions as quickly as you did? Because I think that's something Bogota was really famous very quickly in the world, that you were so fast to act on the ground. What do you say would these three top factors be? Uh, so we had, as you, as you know, Bogota has the largest uh, network of bike lanes in, in Latin America. And that expansion uh, had has been over the last, I don't know, decade or so. So we had a lot of kilometers that were already programmed in that expansion. So we had a lot of uh, 
potential new bike lanes that were in line waiting for the correct moment, waiting for this political window that we are, as, as a public official, you are always waiting for that political window to come up. So you can ask for inspiration, but you need to have all the material prepared so that when this crisis come, they can become into an opportunity. So we had all the material prepared previously. We had a lot of kilometers waiting in line to be implemented. So that's one of the main key factors, I would say. We had all the material prepared and we were ready for when this opportunity would come. Um, the second element, and I have to say it, is, is people here in Bogota. People are willing to accept different measures and people are willing to accept changes and people responded very, very positively. When we look at all the surveys that we do and all the data field from the field, um, people were very comfortable with these new decisions. So people in Bogota like, are, are very yeah, willing to accept some changes and they're very uh, comfortable changing their travel patterns. And the third, and, and I think would be kind of the most relevant instrument, is, is the way to communicate and to connect with people. I think the, the current mayor, Claudia Lopez, here in Bogota, has a very strong connection with, with the citizens. And she really knows how to communicate these policies. So people feel and, and they, they, they are connected emotionally and politically with the, the kind of city that she wants to build. So that certainly can ease the path to all the different policies that we want to implement. People trust her, um, people look up to her, and people during this pandemic times felt that she was guiding them through a secure, through a safe path. So trust in the, in the mayor and, of course, in the political leaders is, is, was crucial for having this level of acceptance. Mm-hmm. So now we spoke a lot about the role of cities um, in transforming cities for more active mobility, especially um, cycling lanes. And I'm wondering, because I know that you've worked also for international organizations such as the World Bank um, or CAF, the Development Bank of Latin America. And because we all know, of course, there's always some financing also uh, connected to mobility interventions. I'm wondering, what role do you see for cities in creating this infrastructure, but also for national governments in supporting them, especially now in these challenging times, to really have the necessary framework and uh, resources at their hand to further this transition? Lina, thank you for that question, because it's a very interesting one, and it's one of the most complex uh, issues that we want to change, both from the multilateral side and both, of course, from the city side. As you know, most of the Uh, big commitments, both from the political side and from the uh, multilateral development banks, is into building more infrastructure. And most of these credit operations, they uh, come with infrastructure. But what we have seen over the last years is that we need to change the way cities can approach development banks into having more sustainable operations towards services. Um, Now we've seen how we need to provide the same amount of, of supply of buses, trains, and different means for, for having this support to mass transportation. But then again, of course, we're observing between one-fifth and one-third of the demand 
So we're having real difficult times um, making these systems financially sustainable. So it would be very interesting if, because of this crisis, we could have a different dialogue with multilateral development banks and other financing institutions so that we can change the way uh, these credit lines have been uh, dedicated usually and traditionally to infrastructure. We need to move away from that uh, vision and go into the levels of service and the sustainability, the financial sustainability of providing mass transportation for for cities. I think there's a, a very deep conversation that we need to have on not only how we can make them financially viable, but also on how we can make the tariffs and the fares more viable for the uh, most vulnerable people. Just to give you one number, one figure, before pandemic times, um, the lower income households from Bogota, they would dedicate between 26 and 28% of their income to transportation. And, and that amount is, is of course, is, it's unviable. There's no household that can live devoting 25-26% of their income to transportation. So we really need to have a different um, politically, political different dialogue to change the way we calculate and we estimate fares and the way we finance them. And development agencies and development banks need to become part of this discussion, not only into the infrastructure part, but also, of course, into the provision of the service. That is, of course, one of the crucial questions, which I think is going to keep a lot of us very busy in the next months and probably years to figure out how to design more suitable credit lines, as you described, and systems of supporting cities in really advancing with uh, mobility infrastructure and offers for their people. So just before I let you go, I want to ask you one last question. I want to know... What is your one-sentence advice to cities to encourage people, so their citizens, to use active mobility modes more often? Um, poof. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of very simple. It's a very simple, simple discussion. It's cheaper, it's cleaner, and it's more efficient. Um, that was before pandemic times, and now during pandemic times, it keeps you safer. So I think it's, it's very interesting how people can react to these incentives and say it's if we can provide from the cities correct infrastructure and correct services, um, then of course people are going to go that way. It's cheaper, it's safer, it's cleaner, and of course it's even more fun. So it, it's it's when you provide that reallocation of space, bringing into account again efficiency and equity criteria, then of course that's going to be very interesting. The results. I think your response perfectly sums up the benefits of active mobility. And um, I think it's quite impressive for all of us outside of Bogota to see how able and how willing the city was to really advance this issue. So from here on out, we'll definitely be watching uh, further developments in Bogota. Uh, I hope you keep all of us on our toes and keep setting the bar high for active mobility in cities. And I thank you so much, Nicolas, for taking the time out of your busy schedule today to join us and share your vision, but also your experiences and advice with Tumi and, of course, with the listeners. And I hope to have you back here on the Tumi podcast soon. Lena, thank you very much for the space. And I'm very, very glad to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nicolas and Lena, for presenting your thoughts on the ongoing cycling revolution happening in Bogota. 
we are sure many cities will follow the leading example of Bogota and will use the momentum to also transform their urban transport systems towards more efficiency, equity and sustainability. We hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Hopefully, together we inspire more citizens and decision-makers to take the bike more often. And with that, happy cycling and as always, thanks for tuning in and hear you next time.